everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today we are finishing our Advent series talking about the candle of love or the angel's candle. This is also the last episode of season seven. Well, hello you guys. This episode almost didn't happen because the computer that I used to record my podcast decided not to turn on this morning. So that was exciting, and everything that I used with my music and my blurbs and different things was all on the computer. So even though I have the actual episodes backed up on a cloud somewhere, the music and stuff like that that I use wasn't. And so I was like, oh, fantastic. But we were able to get the computer into a computer doctor, and they told us it was just the cord that was wrong. So we got a new cord, and now the computer is charging, and we are good to go. So That was exciting because this is not only the last episode of Advent, it's also the last episode of 2022 and season seven. I will start again in January and we'll start season eight. Craziness. I can't believe we're there already. So this candle that we're talking about today is actually called the candle of love, uh, also known as the angel's candle. And it's really just talking about God's love for his people. And I was like, wait a minute, I talked about God's love a lot last week, kind of by accident, just sort of happened as we're talking about joy. So I was like, well, where am I going to go? But as I looked into just the love of God, guys, we could talk about the love of God every single day and be able to come up with something new to talk about because it's so amazing. And I was looking into the genealogy of Jesus. My pastor's been talking about the way that Mary was transformed by the gift of Jesus. Then he talked about how Joseph was transformed by the gift of Jesus. And he's kind of walking us through some of the characters in the nativity story. But as I was looking at the genealogies in both Matthew and Luke, they're a little bit different. Scholars think that perhaps one of them is actually Mary's genealogy and the other one is Joseph's genealogy. It struck me in Matthew as it really just talks about the different women that are listed in the genealogy. I think about the love of God. And so often, many of us get sidetracked by the God of the Old Testament. And we see Jesus as a God of love and mercy, but the God in the Old Testament seems harsh and angry and distant and not necessarily a kind or loving individual. And guys, that's wrong, first of all. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And we are just misinterpreting the God of the Old Testament. But so many of us are there because we don't understand culture. We don't understand language. We don't understand the way, the ways of the ancient Near East. And people who interpreted these scriptures for us gave us a false representation of who God was. Many times for their own benefit. So they could control us through fear and through behaviors and stuff like that. It's interesting to me that people who are trying to control you religiously often go to these Old Testament passages, often like to use kind of an obscure translation like the King James Version and twist it for their own benefit so that you are afraid and that you think they are a prophet from God who must be listened to and obeyed. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ, when he came and lived here with us and died for us, 
was an exact image of God. He was God in the same way that God, the Old Testament, is God. And if we look at Jesus and we see his justice and we see his mercy, we can see that also in the God, the Old Testament. And these genealogies, to me, are just a perfect picture of this. Because the women listed in Jesus' genealogy, at first glance, don't seem to be people that are fantastic examples. The first one listed is Tamar, and she was the daughter-in-law of Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Tamar was married to Judah's oldest son, who the Lord killed because he was evil. Then she got uh, married to his second son, who decided he didn't want to have children with her, as was the custom in the ancient Near East. So he refused to fulfill the deed, and God got angry with him and also killed him. And then Judah just kind of had her hang around, promised her to his third child, and then never actually gave her to him. So she dresses up like a prostitute. And after Judah's wife dies, he's kind of looking for comfort. And he goes into his daughter-in-law, not realizing that is his daughter-in-law, and impregnates her. What a crazy story. And so much of this is stuff that we don't understand culturally. So it's really easy for us to get all high and mighty and righteous and saying, well, this is wrong. And obviously that should never happened and blah, blah, blah. How is God? God's so angry. He's killing people because they're evil. So many things we understand, guys. So many cultural differences, so many language differences. If you really want to look into that, ask a Hebrew scholar and really dig in. We don't have time today, but I can guarantee that it's not what you think it is. But here's a girl who has shame and she is single and she has no children and she gets children by her father-in-law ends up having twins, and one of them goes on to be the father of the next guy in the line of Jesus. I just think it's so fascinating that she's even mentioned here, um, that she's even recognized. It's just, it's mercy. It's love. The next woman that's recognized is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And when the spies came and spied out the land, she actually hid them in on her roof and was able to be saved during the fall of Jericho because of her faith. She goes on to apparently marry a Israelite man, and they have a son named Boaz, who should be familiar to you because Boaz ends up being the husband of Ruth, who was a Moabite woman who came back from Moab with her mother-in-law after her husband died and lives with her mother-in-law and ends up marrying Boaz. So a Gentile. So now we have two Gentiles, Rahab and Ruth are Gentiles. The next woman in the line of Jesus is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So the woman who gets basically kidnapped and raped by King David, excellent, goes on to be the mother of Solomon who is in the line of Jesus. Guys, I'm just blown away by the way God continually uses us in our brokenness to still accomplish his will how he shows the value of humanity, even as we are just screwing things up and making mistakes and abusing people and doing things that are wrong. He just uses it anyway. And if that is not love and mercy, then I don't know what is. Which leads us to the final woman in the genealogy of Jesus, which is Mary. And Mary is probably the only one of these women 
who doesn't seem to be kind of a mess at times. And yet she deals with so much shame in a culture of shame and honor by saying yes and allowing God to let her become the virgin mother of Jesus. She appears to everyone in her town as though she has been unfaithful to her husband, to her betrothed. They weren't actually even married at this point. They were just seriously engaged, called betrothed. And she becomes pregnant, basically out of wedlock. And so everybody either thinks her and Joseph were doing stuff before they were supposed to, or that she cheated on Joseph with another man. There was so much shame. Our pastor was reminding us again this morning about how the Pharisees even called Jesus out on this later on. He said, well, at least we're not children of our immorality. We know who our father is. Like basically the idea of like, we know who you are, Jesus. Like no one even knows who your dad is. Ouch. It's so interesting to me how Jesus is willing to just come down into this world and even though he was sinless, hold this shame that we deal with, hold this brokenness that we find ourselves surrounded in and live here and love us and become one of us. There's so much that we could dig into. We so often just gloss over and ignore about this story of Jesus' birth. But his conception, about his birth, about his upbringing, about his life, his death, his resurrection. It's the most ridiculous and fascinating story ever. And the thing that I was thinking about this morning is I was like, you know what? The craziest part about this whole thing is that it's historical. Even if you don't believe in the Bible, Jesus is recorded in history. Josephus talks about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who literally lived and he had a reputation and people knew who he was and they knew about him and he's recorded other places besides just in scripture. Jesus existed. He was a real person and he lived here with us for 33 and a half years, give or take. Why? Why does the God who is so powerful that he can just breathe out stars and speak life into existence, why does he choose to come and live here on this broken planet? And become one of us? Why does he choose to humble himself in such a way that he doesn't even own a home? He doesn't even have any possessions. He doesn't have a family. He just lives here with us, speaks truth to us, shows us who God is, dies for us, and comes back to life again. What in the world? What kind of a God is this? It's a God of ultimate love. We think we know what love is as broken people, but we have no idea. Love is about sacrifice. Love is about mercy. Love is about giving when someone doesn't deserve it. It's about accepting. It's about wanting. It's about welcoming and giving value to another individual. The love of God is astounding that he would value us, that he would pursue us, even though we reject him so intensely, that he would show us who he is in a way that we could understand becoming one of us, that he would take the punishment that he declared was necessary. I think about even in the beginning of time when he said, sin requires death. Just saying those words, he knew that he was going to be the one to die. He knew from the very beginning that was the plan blows my mind. The love that he has for us is unfathomable. And he loves us enough to let us go 
He doesn't force any of us into a relationship with him. He loves us enough to allow us choice to reject him. I think about the mercy and the forgiveness that he offers to us freely and yet allows us to also reject. And I hear people say sometimes that, you know, how can God be a God of love and there's so much brokenness in this world? Why does God let such bad things happen to good people? How can he really be real? But the truth of the matter is this world is corrupted and broken because we broke it. Like we broke it. And we continue to break it through our choices. I mean, we, choices like even our ecosystems and the environment that we literally choose to destroy. We choose to destroy each other. We choose to, like we make these choices every day that are just destructive and hurtful. And he allows us to do that. And he allows us to face the consequences of our actions. And yet he is so merciful and doesn't give us all the things that we deserve. Yes, this world is broken. Yes, this world hurts and it's a mess and it disappoints and it's devastating. And yet into this mess came Jesus and he lived with us, became one of us, died for us, and began to restore everything by restoring us to himself, freely making that relationship accessible to anybody who would choose to believe. The sins of the world have been forgiven and anyone who chooses to accept that forgiveness can have it. Hope has been offered. Love has made a way to anyone who will take it. And guys, we are living in the beginning of the end. This time of year is interesting to me. It's the winter solstice on December 21st, this coming Wednesday. It's the darkest day of the year. After June 20th or 21st, we steadily get darker. Day by day, there's more darkness. The sun comes up a little bit later. It goes down a little bit earlier. And on Wednesday, December 21st, it is the darkest day of the year. So fascinating that that should happen right around Christmas time. I think whoever planned it, whoever planned out Christmas time was on to something. Because we know Jesus wasn't really born in the wintertime. He was born probably in the spring. But guys, as it gets so dark, and then on December 22nd, It begins to get lighter again. Friends, we are living in the beginning of the end. The day that Jesus died is the darkest day of history. And three days later, when he arose from the dead, it began to get lighter. And we are living in this time period where it is getting lighter and lighter and lighter. It might feel like it. It might not feel like it. You might be like, Christy, this world's a mess. Like, it's so broken. Everyone hates you. There's so much. There's so much division and tension. Because I'm telling you, the dawn is coming. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is on the move. It's like in Narnia when it says Aslan is on the move. He is moving. And we are getting closer and closer day by day to the day when his kingdom comes to earth. When we get to live in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we celebrate Advent this year, We have a Savior. We have a Messiah who has come, but we eagerly await his second coming. And we live in the brokenness and we feel the tension and the hardness and the hurt. And we cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. This is 
kind of a blessing that we have a chance to live in a time that's broken because we don't recognize the brokenness around us when everything's great. And when life is going just like we want it to, we don't recognize how messed up it really is. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. And guys, we have one if we'll just accept him. His Spirit is here with us. He's been given to us as a gift, as a reminder that Jesus is coming again. Maybe sooner than we think. I'm going to close today with the same prayer that I prayed the first week of Advent by Henry Nouwen. Lord Jesus, Master of both light and darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparation for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet spaces to hear your voice every day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. And to you we say, come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you next year. Until next time, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.